Thank you, Artie and Brenda and the praise team. You did a wonderful job today, as they always do. Amen? Amen. You love the Lord today? Amen. Well, what a great day it is to be alive, if you're alive. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And I'm talking about spiritually alive, not just naturally alive. Amen. Praise God. If you are watching via uh, your device and uh, or you have it available to you, you may want to open the Bible app, and it's the YouVersion Bible app. And the lower right-hand corner, press More, and then on the second page, halfway down, press Events, and then select Casa View, Assembly of God, and all of the handouts with today's Bible study will be part of that uh, for about a week, and then it changes each week. And that's part of the ministry of Debbie Harlan that she does for us, continues to do. She loads this in advance, and it's there for us. Praise God. In the bulletin, if you'll reach for your sermon notes, reach for your sermon notes and pull pull that out. We're in a series of messages that we have been studying the life of Abraham and we'll pick up with our study in just a few moments. I like to begin with just a little bit of humor. I heard about a policeman uh, candidate. He was a, a recruit. And uh, we have some that are involved in law enforcement uh, here today. And uh, one of those is uh, Officer Esparza. Wave at me back there. There's Officer Esparza. And, uh, boy, you don't want to mess with her. I mean, she, she'll take care of you. Amen. And so uh, a police recruit was asked a question on his final exam, and the question was, what would you do if you had to arrest your own mother-in-law? Well, he thought about it for a long time, and then he said, I'd call for backup. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That reminds me also of another story I heard about a big game hunter and his wife that went on a safari game hunt with their extended family. And they were on this game hunt, and they were camping out in tents, and, and they were one evening, they were deep in the jungle, and the wife woke up to find her mother was gone. And so she rushed to her husband and insisted, we've got to find mother, she's gone, I don't know what, what has happened. And, and so he immediately picked up his hunting rifle, and they started to search for her. And in a clearing not far from camp, they happened upon a very chilling sight. And what they saw was their mother-in-law was backed up against a very thick, impenetrable, impenetrable bush. And she couldn't escape. And a large male lion stood facing her. And the wife said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And the husband replied, nothing. That lion got himself into this mess. He can get himself out. Amen. <clears> that <throat> has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Amen. Well, our theme this year has been walking with God, having an ongoing relationship with God. And we've been studying a series of messages from the life of Abraham, who was called a friend of God. He is the father of faith, the example of faith, the example of how to walk with God. And as part of the introduction, I want to go back several years and then I'll, I'll bring it into an understanding of where we're going today. 
When I graduated high school, my very first automobile was a 1969 Chevrolet Nova. And this was not the picture of my car. This is the model of my car. And I wish that I had taken some pictures of my car. And uh, it wasn't quite as shiny as this one was. And uh, But in any event, <clears throat> it had a powerful six-cylinder motor in it. It was called a straight six, and it had a gigantic two-barrel carburetor on it. And uh, it had a manual transmission that, uh, that you shifted on the column. And so that's how I learned to drive a, uh, a uh, uh, non-automatic transmission car, manual, manual transmission car. And I graduated high school in 1973, 50 years ago. That kind of dates me a little bit. And uh, uh, so the car was a, a used car when we bought it, and so it was four or five years old, and, and uh, we paid a whopping $1,500 for that car, $1,500. And uh, I was so proud of that little two-door car, it was my going-to-college car. And I had been working in my mother's flower shop, delivering flowers all during high school and saving up money, so I had a nice little nest egg to pay down on that car, and mom and dad, they helped make up the difference. And so I'll never forget the day that I loaded that car up and drove and left home to go to, to college. I mean, it was a great day. I was so looking forward to, to, you know, leaving the house, but also the excitement of going to college. And so I packed up that car. I mean, I had it loaded. The trunk was loaded. The back seat was loaded. The passenger seat was loaded. I had everything you could imagine that I owned in that car. And drove all the way to Houston, Texas to Bible college. And it was exciting. And I was in Bible college maybe for about three months, and it was now Thanksgiving time, and everybody was leaving to go home to their families, and I was kind of lonely, and I decided that I was going to drive home, the seven-hour drive to Oklahoma, and I would, uh, I would go home to, for Thanksgiving, and I was going to have a, I was very excited about getting home. And had a wonderful time, ate lots of turkey, and exciting things took place. And then it was time to go back to college. I was ready to go back. And so I left uh, my house and, and got in my car and began to drive. And, and then I, I saw the exit there on the Highway 69 that said, You follow. And I thought, well, you know, I'll just drive through town instead of bypassing. And because I have relatives there, and my favorite aunt is there, Eunice Burns. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll just drop by the flower shop that she owns and I'll just say hi to her and then I'll go on my way. And as I was going through town, I saw a car that looked very familiar. It was my aunt's car. She was coming right toward me. And I honked and I waved and she didn't even see me. I thought, well, you know, that's my aunt. And so I, I just whipped around the block and, you know, and I wasn't really watching my speed and I was going probably a little faster than the speed limit in order to get around the block to try to catch my aunt. And so I, I went around the block, and I saw where she turned down there a couple blocks. And so I turned, and, and I went. And, but little did I, I didn't really realize at the time, but I had passed right in front of the police station. And the sheriff was just coming out the door when I was whizzing around the block to catch my aunt. And so he decided that he would pursue me. And so about a block, from my aunt went home to her house, and I was coming down the, the street to her street, and as, as I was getting close, I noticed in the back, I saw all those red lights flashing. I thought, oh, my lands, I cannot believe this. And I knew what I had done at that point. 
And so I pulled over naturally and pulled out my license. And, and, but my aunt, you know, she, she just was making a quick trip home. And, and she got whatever she needed and she got back in the car and she was headed my way. And there I was, pulled over, the lights flashing. And you know, it's kind of embarrassing to get pulled over. But it's even worse when somebody you know sees you being pulled over. And my aunt, she's coming, and I'm telling the officer, he said, well, you're in a hurry here, young man, and what, what's the deal? And I told him, I, you know, I'm passing through town, going back to college, and, and my aunt, and I saw her, and I was trying to catch her and just to say hello, and, and she comes by, and I wave at her, and she stops, and she says, Mark, she calls me Marky, Marky, is that you? <laughs> Only people that ever call me that is my family back home. And she said, Marky, is that you? And I said, yes. And she said, well, how come you're stopped here? I said, well, I was trying to catch you. And, uh, and the policeman, he said, uh, do you know this young man? <laughs> and she said, oh, yeah, that's my nephew and, and so forth. And so uh, she went on her way and left me there with him. And, <laughs> and needless to say, he says, well, I know your aunt. And I know your uncle, your grandfather, Lester. And your daddy is Marcus. I know your daddy. And I know your great uncle Herschel. He's, he drives the wrecker truck that in town. And we're always calling him for accidents. You know. He said, I'm just going to let you off with a warning, son. Oh, praise the Lord. He says, because I remember your family. I know who your family is. Praise God. They're good family. Amen. And how many of you realize that that because of the relationship that he had, that he knew my family, that instead of justice that should have been served to a perpetrator of an offense, he extended mercy to me, mercy to me. And how many of you are aware that because of our transgressions and our sins, we are all guilty And we deserve justice or judgment. We deserve that. But our Heavenly Father remembers. He remembers the sacrifice on the cross of His Son. And because He does, we are extended mercy. Are you thankful for mercy? Oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for mercy. Praise God. Now... Today we're talking about remembering, and so I believe it's one thing for you and me to remember the Lord. Amen. But it's a totally different deal when the Lord remembers us. Amen. And that's what we want to talk about today. I want to talk to you for a few moments about, does, will the Lord remember you? Will the Lord remember you? When you are in your time of need, when you are facing disaster, when you are going through a horrible situation, and you call out to Him, and we all do that, we call out to Him, will He remember you? Will He remember your voice? Oh my. Well, let's talk about that for a moment. Because uh, God wants to respond to the outcry against Sodom. Now, we're in a series of messages on life of Abraham And last Sunday, we talked about how that God knew Abraham, and he said, Shall I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham? I I know him. Am I about? Shall I hide? And the answer was, No, I'm not going to hide. I'm going to give him a revelation of what I'm going to do because I know him. I'm going to give him a revelation. And so, God's response to the out here's the revelation of what he was about to do. 
And he's going to give judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I'm going to talk to you for a few moments, just a little bit, about the sin of Sodom. And the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the judgment that came. But this message is not really about the judgment. This message is about mercy. How that in judgment there is mercy. And God wants to rescue. Amen. But he needs somebody to stand in the gap. Amen. So that's where we're going. Let me talk to you first about Sodom. What that's about. Now Sodom and Gomorrah are two cities. That were in the valley. The plains area. Remember. When Abraham separated from his nephew Lot, Lot chose to live in the plains area as close as he could get to Sodom. And uh, Abraham stayed in the hill country. And uh, so that was what happened. And, uh, but the city of Sodom and Gomorrah was a wicked city. It was known for a very sinful lifestyle. And they committed all kinds of sins against the Lord. And so in Genesis chapter 13, it says, it declares, the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked. That wouldn't just mean that they were just kind of bad. It means they were very, very sinful, very wicked, and sinful against the Lord. They disobeyed His commands. They disobeyed the will of God, and certainly the Word of God. And they were, uh, it was just horrible, the atrocities that they committed. Now their sin was so great that an outcry reached heaven itself against Sodom and Gomorrah and reached the very throne of God himself. And so because the Lord knew Abraham, he came to down and he revealed to Abraham, shall I hide what I'm about to do? And so he began to reveal to him the judgment that was going to come upon these cities because of their great sin. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, God said, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me in heaven. And if not, then I will know. Now, for a few moments, I'm going to talk about the sin of Sodom. This is really not the heart of my message. I'm talking about mercy. But I think it's imperative that we understand the things that God does not, uh, that He hates, that He hates, that He does not like. I think it's very important. Because we're living in a day today that we're seeing the same thing. The same sins are being committed today. And so the question is, what was this grave sin that got God so in an uproar that He came all the way down to earth from heaven in order to see if this was true? Well, according to Genesis 19.5, very clearly, this sin involved homosexuality. You say, well, what's that about? Well, hetero is the Greek word for different. And so uh, that's God's will is there would be uh, hetero uh, gender. Male and female, but not homo, not the same gender in relationship. That's the will of God. And so according to scripture, this was the sin. And so the wicked men, very wicked men of the city, in verse 5, it says they called to Lot, who was the nephew living there. And there were two angels that came to Lot's house. And he took them into his house, and, and, and they called a lot, and they said, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, 
so that we can have relations with them. Now, this is, it was a horrible sin that they were going to be involved in. And the very name of that city, Sodom, gives us the name Sodomy, which is from that name of that city, which is, is, uh, is, is an a, a act of copulation between two men, whether consensual or forced. And it's, it's a grievous sin. It's a detestable act that God condemns. And he condemned it then. And guess what? He condemns it now. And clearly, this was part of why God destroyed these two cities. The wicked men of Sodom and Gomorrah wanted to perform immoral acts on what they thought were two men, but in reality they were powerful angels. And that is not to say that this is the only reason that this city was destroyed. As a matter of fact, in Ezekiel chapter 16, it describes the sin of Sodom and says, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom, she and her daughters, in other words, the other cities of the plains. She and her daughters were arrogant. They were overfed. Oh my Lord, overfed. And unconcerned, they did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. So the sins of Sodom were more than just what we have described, the immoral acts. But it it was a number of sins. It included pride and apathy and complacency and idleness and unconcern for the underprivileged. And the scripture said... I'll go back one slide. They did detestable things. There, I'm going the wrong way. There it is. They did detestable things. Detestable things. Well, what's that about? Well, the Hebrew word, toyaba, is the word detestable. And it's translated detestable. And it actually means that which is morally disgusting. They did morally disgusting things. Detestable things. Toyaba. It's the same word that is used again in Leviticus chapter 18. And it's uh, where it describes homosexuality and it calls it toyaba and is translated abominable. It's an abominable thing. In Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. It's a toyaba. It is a morally detestable thing. In Jude chapter 1 verse 7, don't forget the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, all full of lust of every kind, including the lust of men for other men. Those cities were destroyed by fire and continue to be a warning to us that there is a hell in which sinners are punished. So again, while homosexuality was not the only sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, it does appear to be a primary reason for the destruction of those cities. Those who attempt today to explain away the biblical condemnations against this particular sin claim that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah <coughs> was in hospitality. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, indeed, in, in hospitality was one of the sins. And they certainly were inhospitable. But there's nothing more inhospitable than a group of wicked men trying to uh, commit immoral acts upon visitors who's visiting the city. I mean, that's horrible. 
But to say that God destroyed the two cities and all their inhabitants simply because they were inhospitable doesn't fit the obvious details of the, of the story. Sodom and Gomorrah were guilty of many other sins, yes. But get this now, homosexuality was the principal reason that God poured out brimstone, which is burning sulfur, upon these cities, completely destroying all the inhabitants of these cities. To this day, the area geographically where Sodom and Gomorrah, they believe, is located is totally desolate wasteland. Sodom and Gomorrah serve, it's an example. It's a picture for us. It's an object lesson for us of how God feels about sin in general and very specifically about this specific moral sin. How many know that our society today is rampant? Is rampant and growing more and more perverse every day? When I grew up, you could, you could walk to school without fear. You could ride your bicycle to school without fear of being kidnapped by some pervert. And uh, you could leave your house unlocked all day long. You didn't have to worry about a thief breaking in and stealing anything. But it isn't that way anymore. And uh, friends, it's like we're living in Sodom and Gomorrah all over again. And let me tell you, the response of God to the sin of Sodom was judgment and wrath. The two angels told Lot to leave the city. And the angel said in Genesis 19, 13, he said, For we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great, it has reached the Lord and He has sent us to destroy it. And then when the judgment came, Scripture says, The Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all of those living in the cities and also the vegetation that was in the land. In verse 28, he looked down on Sodom and Gomorrah toward the land of the plain and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like the smoke from a furnace. Friends, if God judged this grave sin once, let me tell you, God hasn't changed his mind. Amen. He will judge it again. But I've got good news for you. In judgment, there is also mercy. Mercy. Now, this is what the message is all about today. It's not about the judgment because we understand that. We comprehend that, that there's consequences to sin and God's going to judge that. But we're talking about mercy today. Aren't you thankful for mercy today? Amen. Mercy. In the midst of judgment, God remembered Abraham. Here's the passage in chapter 19 and verse 24. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, notice this phrase, He remembered Abraham. Amen. And He brought Lot out of that catastrophe. Earlier in chapter 18, the Lord had said to Abraham, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? You see, God was wanting to reveal His plan of judgment that was coming on Sodom and Gomorrah. He wanted to reveal that to Abraham. And now God is pondering, should I do this, should I not? And we studied this last week. And God said in chapter 18, verse 19, For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that he may keep the way of the Lord to do right and justice. See, he knew Abraham well enough to know 
that Abraham would be concerned about the salvation of his own house. He knew that. And so he knew actually what what Abraham was going to do with this revelation. He knew and so he didn't hide it. He knew in advance what he was going to do, how Abraham would react. He was going to teach his children. He was going to use this as an object lesson to teach his children uh, that there's consequences to sin. But the question is, is simply this. We have a revelation too. What are we going to do with the revelation? The wages of sin is death. That's a revelation from God. We've read about it. The gift of God is eternal life. Amen. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. It's in here. Amen. And so we have a revelation. We have more of the revelation than even what Abraham had. And God knew what he was going to do with it. But what are we going to do with the revelation? I think it's important for us to understand what Abraham did because I believe that we should do the same thing that he did when the Lord reveals to us what he's going to do. So their sin was very grave. And we read it, we read it a moment ago. Here's a verse again. The Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and the sin is very grave, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against what has come to me. And if not, I will know. And then in the next verse it says, Then the men, uh, then the men, the, the two angels he's talking about, the two angels turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But we learned last week there were three things Abraham did. First of all, he still stood before the Lord. Meaning, uh, and Brother Andres, Andres, you mentioned to me that to you it had to do with distractions. He was not distracted with anything else. He put everything, I put the Lord number one. Amen. And we learned there were three things we need to do. One of those is we need to still stand before the Lord. We need to put all the distractions away. And we need to make the Lord our primary focus. Amen. The second thing that we see is he came near God. We need to come near God. We need to come near God in our worship. We need to come near God. And, And as close as we can get to God. And the Bible says, draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you. Amen. And then he begins to intercede. He says, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And he became an intercessor. And he said, well, what if there were 50 righteous? And Would you destroy the city for the sake of 50? And and the Lord said, no, I I would not destroy the city for the sake of 50. And then you know the story. Six times he reduces the number. He says, well, what if it were five less than 50? Would you destroy for the sake of that? And the Lord said no. And finally he gets down to ten people. He said, Lord, let let me just say one more time. This is the last time I'm going to speak to you. Would you destroy for the sake of ten righteous people? And the Lord heard his cry, heard his intercession, and said, no, I will not destroy the city if you can find ten righteous people in the city. And obviously the righteous people he was talking about was his own family. And so Abraham began to intercede. Would you destroy? Would you destroy them? And with the righteous with the wicked. He became an intercessor. He persevered in his intercession. And the Lord patiently granted his petition each and every time. And ultimately his family was spared. Now notice what the Lord said in response. In the response of Abraham and in the response to Abraham. In Genesis 18 the Lord said, For I have known him. In order that he may command his children and his people after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteous and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Isn't it interesting that the Lord knew him and he knew what his response would be. He knew what Abraham would do. He knew that Abraham would stand in the gap 
and become an intercessor. He knew that, that he would do that, and he did it. He interceded for the people. And my question is, has it ever occurred to you that that, that is really what the Lord wanted Abraham to do all along? God wanted him to extend mercy. Why? Because God is a God of justice, yes, but He's also a God of mercy. It's twofold. It's like two sides of the same coin. And any time you talk about the justice of God, you also need to talk about the mercy of God. The other side of the coin. Because they balance each other. And so that's the heart of God. His righteousness and His holiness demand, demand justice. But His mercy endureth forever. Oh, praise God. The mercy of God. Ezekiel chapter 22 describes the heart of God. And God says, I sought for a man. I'm looking for a man among them that would make a wall to stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land. That I should not destroy it. But I found no one. I wanted to give mercy. But I didn't find anyone to be the intercessor to plead for mercy. And so I had to bring destruction upon the land. Oh my. I believe the reason that God gave Abraham the revelation of what he was going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah was so that Abraham would do something about it. That he would would bring this before the Lord and he would stand in the gap for the righteous. That's what the Lord wanted Abraham to do, to stand in the gap and to become an intercessor. I believe that's what the Lord wants us to do, to stand in the gap and become an intercessor for people who are lost. I'm convinced that any intimate relationship with Him that we have with Him, that intimacy will bring revelation to us, and that revelation will bring us to the place of intercession. Amen. That's what happened to Abraham. He immediately, when he received the revelation of what God was going to do, he immediately interceded for the righteous of that city. He stood in the gap for them. And he, he asked the Lord. He petitioned the Lord. He was very concerned about his own family and his nephew Lot that were in immediate danger. So the response of sending the two angels to rescue Lot was actually a response of mercy. He was sending the angels. He wouldn't have sent the angels if he's just going to destroy the, the, the city. They just fired, come down from heaven. The, the reason the angels were even there was to rescue Lot. It was an act of the mercy of God. But here's the point. Lot and his family still had to make a choice. They had to make a decision. And they were confronted with an opportunity to stay there or to leave there. The angels said, you need to leave. But they could have chosen to stay. They could have chosen... They could have chosen to obey and escape judgment, or they could have chosen to disobey and remain in Sodom. Now, Lot's wife, she made a wrong decision along the way, and she looked back when she wasn't supposed to, and Scripture says that she looked back and she became a pillar of salt. I heard about one boy, he was talking about it, and he said, uh, <clears throat> teacher was teaching about this, that... Uh, that uh, his wife uh, looked back, she became a pillar of salt. And he said, well, I said, you know, my dad looked back the other day and, and he turned into a telephone pole. You got to watch where you're driving. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't think that was this. Amen. Let's talk about Abraham's intercession because actually Abraham's intercession delayed judgment. It delayed judgment. I think there's a principle here that we can glean. And notice what the angel said in, in Genesis 19. So the angels show up to Lot. 
And they say, hasten, we got to get out of the city. You got to, you got to leave this place. And he said, hurry, escape there. And notice this phrase, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Where's their safety? Therefore, the name of that other city was Zor. And so, isn't that an interesting thought? That the angels were prevented from bringing destruction until the righteous were rescued. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't that a great thought? Amen. And friends, do you know why some of your loved ones have not already been destroyed? It's because intercession has delayed judgment. Intercession has delayed judgment. It's because you're praying. There's a grandmother praying. There's a, there's a grandfather praying. Somebody is praying for their kids and their grandkids. And judgment has been delayed. Amen. The angel said, I cannot bring destruction until you're safe. Until you're rescued. Amen. That's why your role as an intercessor is so vitally important in the plan of God in order to extend mercy. The Lord wants to extend mercy to you and to your family. Amen. And you are a key to that happening. God revealed it to Abraham so that he could be the intercessor and be the one that would extend mercy to his family. And the angel said, I cannot bring judgment until your family has been saved. Praise God. Amen. And I'm convinced God is still able to deliver the righteous from judgment. I believe that with all my heart. Second Peter chapter 2 declares this. Simon Peter writes, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, speaking of the angels uh, that were with Satan and cast them out of heaven, a third of the angels went with Satan to the earth. And if he did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them to the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And if God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and then turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And so he uses the example of God bringing judgment to the angels who sinned. And he judged the world with a flood, but he saved Noah and eight people, one of eight people. And he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, but he saved Lot and members of his family. And, uh, and then he says Lot was oppressed. He was oppressed. He was tormented, uh, dwelling among the, the sinful people day by day, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And have you ever felt grieved in your spirit because of the sin that's around you? 
You can identify with what's going on in Lot's life. Amen. So the Lord, He knows. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. He knows how to do that. Praise God. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. You see... Lot had a choice to make. Either to flee from temptation, flee Sodom, or to remain in Sodom. And friends, God has promised to make a way of escape from temptation, from trial, from test. But we have to look for it. We have a choice to make. And you and I are confronted every day with choices that we will make. And the choices that we are making... Many times, instead of trying to avoid the temptation of Sodom, hello, and leaving Sodom, we want to stay in Sodom. And so, instead of looking for a way to escape from temptation, we're looking for ways not to get caught giving in to temptation. Oh my. We want to keep watching the movies of Sodom. Oh my. Hello. And we want to keep Talking to the chat rooms of Sodom. And we want to keep looking at the websites of Sodom. Hello? And we want to keep relationships going with the people, the wicked people of Sodom. Because that's who we work with. That's who we associate with. Friends, no wonder we're in the mess we're in. We've got to make a decision. We've got to make a choice. The Bible says, come out from among them. Who's them? The people of Sodom. And be separate, saith the Lord. Your life has to be different than the people of Sodom. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. You know, you can have your boat in the water, and that's great. But it's a problem when you get water in your boat. Amen. You are in the world, but you're not of the world. You need to make sure you may be in Sodom, but you're not of Sodom. Amen. Aren't you thankful the Lord knows how to deliver the righteous? From the unrighteous. And he's made a way of escape for us. If you will look for it. Praise God. Friends I'm convinced. That we are living in the last days. With all my heart. I believe that. I believe the scripture has told us. The signs of the end days. And and let me tell you. We're there. Amen. We're looking for the sound of a trumpet. The trumpet of God will sound, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we be with the Lord. Amen. And so we're living in the last days. The scripture says the trumpet will sound, and all the righteous will be delivered from this sinful world. Now, I've got a word for you. This sinful world is headed for judgment, if you hadn't figured that out already. Judgment and destruction, much like Sodom and Gomorrah. But remember that the angels could not destroy Sodom until the righteous had been removed. Why is that? I believe the answer is found in our text today in Genesis 29, excuse me, 19 verse 29. So when God destroyed the cities of Sodom of the plain, he remembered Abraham. And he brought Lot out of that catastrophe. And God responded to Abraham's clear and specific intercession because the Lord 
remembered him. I'm closing now, and I'm going to ask the musicians to go ahead and make their way to the platform. And as I close, I ask you this question. When disaster comes your way, when disaster comes your way to your family, and you're crying out to God in intercession, will the Lord remember you? Will the Lord remember you? Will He remember that your prayers are the prayers that are standing in the gap and pleading for mercy for your loved ones? Friends, it's imperative that the Lord knows you. You say, well, Pastor Marcus, how do I get to know the Lord and and how does the Lord know me? Well, you get to know the Lord by asking the Lord into your heart and believing in, in Him, amen, and believing in the power of the resurrection. That's how you get to know the Lord, but... Even more than that, it's, it's spending time in His presence, in His Word. Spending time in prayer and in worship. And, and you're spending time and you're developing intimacy with the Lord. So that when you approach Him, He will recognize your voice. Oh, I know that voice. I've heard that voice many times. Worshiping me, praising me. I know that person. Amen. And when the trial and when the test and when destruction comes, we'll all have tests. We'll all have trials. We'll all have adversity. And you're interceding and praying because the Lord remembers you. He knows you. That's when the Lord is going to bring mercy instead of judgment to you and your house. When disaster or judgment comes to your family, will the Lord remember you? How many of you want the Lord to remember you? Oh, praise God. How many of you want mercy instead of judgment? Oh, praise God. Let's stand together now. Heavenly Father, we received this message today. And Lord, it's a message of hope and encouragement to us. Not just condemnation for sin. We understand that. We understand, Lord, that we're living in a perverse time. Lord, we understand that judgment will come upon this earth. But Lord, we're praying for mercy. We're praying for mercy, God. We're standing in the gap. We're believing, Lord. We're believing that the hand of God is being extended toward us. We're believing, God, because you remember us. You know us. We've been coming to you in worship every day. We've been coming, lifting our hearts, lifting our hands before the Father. We've been extending, Lord, our worship to you, Lord. God, you will hear our cry. Just as you delivered Noah from the flood. Just as you delivered Lot and his family, Lord, from Sodom and Gomorrah. Lord, one day the trump will sound and you will deliver us, God. Lord, I thank you, God, for the promise of God. I receive that today. I receive it today, Lord. I thank you for mercy today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Are you thankful for mercy? Let's praise the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.